Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, it's good to be here with you all today. I've been here once before, so this is my second time at the... But it wasn't Redeemer at that time, it was... <laughs> Uh, I guess Panama Baptist Church, right? Before, no, it was Christ Fellowship. Christ Fellowship yeah, so, this is my second time here, so good to be here with you all. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself and how I ended up here. My wife and I were missionaries in South America for 18 years in a country called Bolivia, and we were we uh, were uh, church planners there, and we worked with uh, leadership training. Uh, we worked with uh, with the church association down there and the mission agency. Uh, we wore a lot of hats while we were down in in uh, in, in uh, Bolivia, South America. We came up here and and uh, got a home in uh, North Carolina, in the mountains of North Carolina, a beautiful place. So what am, what are we doing here in in Illinois? What happened is my daughter, my oldest daughter, was looking for a college to go to. Um, she was very musical, wanted something in contemporary Christian music, happened to be looking at a magazine, and in that magazine was an advertisement from Greenville College at that time uh, for a contemporary music major, and, and my daughter said, this is where I want to go. At that time, we were still in Bolivia, so it was um, kind of a, uh, a stretch to go all the way from Bolivia here to, to Greenville, Illinois, and so she came that year. The next year, my daughter graduated. By that time, we'd moved up to North Carolina, and we came over to, to Greenville to, uh, for Christmas break to pick up Carla, and uh, Bess looked around, and, and she said, I think I like Greenville College, too. I think I'll go there. I'd like to come here, too. And so we signed her up, and, and uh, the following year, our third daughter, Natalie, graduated from high school and. She's got to look at Greenville College, and she said, I think I'd like to go here, too. And so I had three girls coming to Greenville College, and uh, the finance director at that time, he said, you know, it'd be a lot cheaper for you if you lived here in Greenville, and you wouldn't have to pay all those dorm fees. Uh, and so it seemed to me that was a smart idea, so we sold our house in North Carolina and came here to, to live in Illinois. At that time, we were living in Greenville, and... Uh, my son went to Greenville High School and graduated, and he went to Greenville College. And my wife got her, uh, she got a teacher certificate through the GOAL program of Greenville College. So uh, everyone in my family except for me is a graduate of Greenville College. So it's, uh, that's how we got here. Now I got to meet Jared because we pastor in the same association. And uh, so we got to, to uh, meet up that way and then turned out that we lived in the same town too so uh it's been good to get to know jared and uh, and to have fellowship with him and uh times uh, to get together and, and pray so we're going to be looking at uh first thessalonians you all well we're gonna are, we're gonna put it up here so if if you have your bibles and you want to open to first thessalonians if you'd like to do that we're just going to look at the um, I'm going to be looking at the first three verses. So, um, before we do that, 
You say you're, you're going to put it up on the... Okay. All right. Before we do that, let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to lead, in, in, lead us in, in, a, in this study of uh, Thessalonians. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we... First of all, we just want to praise you. We want to continue praising you. We've praised you in song. We've praised you in prayer. And now, Lord, we want to continue praising you by looking into your word. So as we look into your word, Lord, we want to ask your Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. Help us to understand the message that you have for us this evening from your word. Because your word is truth. And if we want the truth, the only truth in this world, we have to look into your word. And so, Lord, as we look into your word, open our hearts and open our minds to understand and to receive the message from your Holy Spirit to our lives. So that in doing so, we will walk every day closer and closer to you. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll uh, stand. I, I, you know what I'd like to do? If you would, we're going to have it up here. Can we read it together? Have you all done that before? Have you done that? No? Can we do that? This, it's, so if you all would stand up and, and uh, we'll go ahead and read this passage together. Everybody speak up real loud. <laughs> I don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can listen. Okay? All right. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Y'all can uh, have a seat. Let me, uh, before we get into these three verses, let me just give you a little background of why Paul wrote this letter. When we see in, in our Bibles, it says the first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians. An epistle is a letter. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica. These Thessalonians um, were very special to Paul. And so he wanted to write a letter to let them know how special they were. You see, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey together had gone up through Galatia and planted some churches up in that area, Lystra and Derby, and, and um, um, they had preached the gospel. They were missionaries and went out and, and preached the gospel and planted some churches on their missionary journey, on their first missionary journey. After a while, after being back at, at Antioch in the Ascending Church, they decided to go again. Um, so Paul and Barnabas talked about going again, and uh, they got into a little bit of a discussion, a little bit of a disagreement, because in their first missionary journey, Mark had gone along with them. Mark, the writer of the second gospel in, that we have in the New Testament, had gone along with them, and they'd gotten in an argument, or Mark had abandoned them. He'd gone so far and then just couldn't go any farther uh, I think he must have had culture shockers. I mean, you know, a lot of missionaries start go overseas, they get into another country, and it just is real a real shock to them. And that's probably what happened to Mark. He was young, and 
and uh, inexperienced, and, and he wanted to go home and be with his parents. So he abandoned them on that first missionary journey. Well, on the second trip, as they pl- made plans to go on their second trip, uh, Paul wanted to, uh, Paul, um, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul didn't. He said, no, he abandoned us, don't want to take him again. So they, they got in an argument, and they decided, okay, Paul's going to go one way, and, and Barnabas is going to go another way. Barnabas grabs Mark, and they go one way, and Paul grabs uh, Silas. That, and you see the Sylvanus there, that's Silas, that's that same person. And he grabs Silas, and they go another way. Um, we don't have the missionary journey of Barnabas and Mark, but I'm sure they did a tremendous job as they did they went on their missionary journey. The reason that we have the, the, the record of Paul and Silas's uh, journeys is because Luke, the author of Acts, went with them. And everything that, that they did, Luke wrote down. And we have that as scripture. So what happened is Paul and Silas decided to go north from the church in Antioch. And they went up into the churches of Galatia again, uh, uh, Derby and Lystra and those churches in that area, and strengthened those churches where they had planted before in the previous trip. Then they decided to go on farther. Paul's desire was to go west, directly west into what's called Asia. That's uh, That's where there was a real need to preach the gospel. But... Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 15 that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from going that way. So then the next step was Paul thought, okay, I'm going to go north into a place called Bithynia. And uh, the Holy Spirit prevented him from going north. And the reason is that, you know, you wonder, why did the Holy Spirit prevent him from going to preach the gospel? He was going to go preach. Why stop him? And And I'm sure the reason was because the Holy Spirit had other plans. For Paul and Silas. He wanted them to go somewhere else. And indeed that's what happened. As they're considering going north. And the Holy Spirit preventing them to go north. Paul has a vision. Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia. That's saying to him. Come to Macedonia. We need you in Macedonia. And so they decide to go to Macedonia. From where they are. The first town that they get to in Macedonia. Is Philippi. And if you read chapter 16, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you all homework. When you go home this, this evening, read chapter 16 and chapter 17 of Acts. That gives you the whole story of their missionary trip, that second missionary trip. But the first town he gets to is, is Philippi. And they have a great ministry in Philippi. But one thing about Paul, when he went and preached the gospel, he was preaching to people who were pagans, people that... Uh, were idolatrous. They uh, had many, many gods. And when, when, when he started preaching Christ and Christ crucified, the people came against him. Many of the people came against him. When he started preaching salvation by grace and not by works, the Jews came against him because the Jews were very legalistic and they said, no, we got to work our way into heaven. And, and, and uh, that's not what Paul was preaching. And so they came against Paul wherever he went. They came against him. And so he was in Philippi and um, from Philippi, after having planted a church in Philippi, and people have come to the Lord through his preaching. He went on to the, the capital city of Macedonia, which is. Thessalonica. Um, this was the largest city in that area. 
and uh, probably the most pagan city. Uh, they had um, they were very idolatrous. They had Roman and Greek influence, and you know the Romans and the Greeks they they had all kinds of gods and uh, worshipped all kinds of gods. And and uh, Paul came in and preached a different message. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. They had uh, in Thessalonica they had a had a, um, a circus where the gladi- gladiators would fight to death, and people loved that. They, that was the kind of thing they liked. They had a, a circus to a, a, um, a theater where they would put on productions. It's kind of like our our modern society, our modern culture today, where where we have a football stadium where everybody comes to, or a baseball stadium, everybody comes to watch the sports, and then we have theaters in every town. So it's, Thessalonica was one like one of our big cities even today, and very 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 uh, pagan. But Paul began to preach. Scripture tells us that he preached for three Sabbaths in the, the synagogue. Whenever Paul went into a city, if there was a Jewish synagogue, that's where he would go and preach first until they told him not that he couldn't anymore. But he preached in the synagogue in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. That meant that he was there for at least three weeks. And while he was there, Scripture tells us that many came to the Lord. Many of the Jews were converted to Christianity because of Paul's preaching. Many of the uh, um, religious um, Greeks, these were Greeks that had converted to Judaism and were probably in the synagogue listening to Paul preach when, when he preached the gospel there, and they became Christians. And even, it says, leading women from that town came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through Paul's preaching. So we have Paul at least there, there at least three weeks. I think maybe a little bit more, but it's because what happened after three weeks, uh, the, the persecution came upon the church and Paul, and they started giving him a hard time, and they had to leave, get out of the, the synagogue, and they, they went to a house of a man named Jason, and they were having their services in his house. And they came against him and took him to jail. And Jason had to pay a bail to get out of jail. So uh, it's just a lot of persecution wherever Paul went. And uh, that's what happened in Thessalonica. And so after three weeks or maybe more, maybe he was there maybe a month or maybe a little bit more than that, he was forced to leave. And he went to a little town called Berea, uh, preached the gospel there, and then was uh, chased out of Berea by these zealous Jews, these zealous people that were always following Paul and persecuting him. And he had to flee to uh, Athens and then, and then Corinth. And, uh, you know, from Corinth, we've, we've got the, the, church, the Corinthian church, which we have two letters for, that he wrote to the Corinthian church. So here's Paul um, has had to leave Thessalonica, where he had a great, a great ministry, a lot of people coming to the Lord. And as he's in Athens, he's thinking, I wonder how the Thessalonians are doing. It's a new church, new converts, new people, new to the Lord, and all that persecution. So he's wondering how it's going for them. So when he's in Athens, he decides... He's got Timothy with him. 
Timothy was, had accompanied him. And so he, 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 he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you to go back and I want you to go visit the Thessalonians. And I want you to encourage them. But I also want you to find out how they're doing. It's a new congregation, new, new believers. Uh, I'm sure they're being persecuted. Are they holding fast? Are they being steadfast to the gospel? Can you find out for me? And so he sends Timothy back to the, to the Thessalonian church with, uh, with the instructions to encourage them and to see how they're doing. Timothy comes back to Paul after a while and he gives Paul the good news. Indeed, the church is holding steadfast. They are staying true to the gospel. Even though they're being persecuted, even though there's problems in the church, they are holding, holding steadfast and staying true to the gospel. And this encouraged Paul so much. He was so much encouraged by this good news that he got from uh, Timothy from the church at Thessalonica. And so he writes a letter. And this is the letter that we have here. This is a very, very upbeat letter. The, the whole epistle, first epistle to, of Paul to the Thessalonians is an upbeat letter. He's really encouraging them, really praising them for being steadfast and really holding to the gospel message. This, as a matter of fact, is probably the first letter that Paul wrote to any of his churches. Now, if you look in your index, it's the last in our Bibles, it's the last uh, letter that he wrote to churches. He wrote some individ- to some individuals after that, but this is the, in our Bibles, it's the last one, the first and second Thessalonians. But it's probably the first letter that he physically wrote to any of the churches that he planted. He was curious to see how they were doing. Without Paul, could that church survive? He was curious. He wanted to know. Had the persecution discouraged them? Had they fallen away? And Timothy came back with the good news. And so he wrote this letter to them, encouraging them, telling them, thank you for being steadfast. Continue doing so. And then there's, there's, uh, there's praise to them all through this letter. And also a little bit of exhortation on some things that, that, uh, that Paul hears about Thessalonians. One of the things is they had, uh, they worried that, Christ had returned. Somebody came and told them Christ had already returned and left them behind. And Paul is telling them, no, that's not true. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, so we have some, uh, some good, uh, in this letter we have a lot of, of, of interesting uh, teaching from Paul as far as the end times go, the last days. This was a letter written to praise them for their steadfastness and to encourage them. And let me just read First uh, Timothy I mean, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 6, where he explains to them what he had done. So here's what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. 
He was worried that the tempter had taken them away, but the tempter had not taken them away. They had held fast to their faith. So Timothy brought news that this, and this news was certainly encouraging to Paul. And so in his opening statement, the three verses that we read this evening, he remarks in this epistle about their faith, about their love, and about their hope. That's what we want to look at this evening. Their faith, their love, and their hope. So first of all, we notice that Paul is thankful to God, first of all, for their work of faith. As He says that he is thankful for their work of faith. They had a faith that was alive. What is a faith that is alive? James tells us, he's, James in chapter 2 says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. A faith that is alive is a, is a faith that is working. A faith that is obvious to anybody that might see you. Might, that might be looking at you. A faith that is transparent. That people can see that faith in you. It's alive. It's working in you and the, those that are around you. And their faith was likely centered around the, 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 the person of Jesus Christ. As our faith should be centered around Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. And it was probably prompted by the love that he had for them and that they had for him. In 2 Timothy, in the first verse of second, uh, first chapter of 2 Timothy, we read, we, I mean Thessalonians, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. That's how their faith worked. They loved each other. They, that faith abounded towards each other. So what about our faith? Is our faith a living faith? Somewhere I heard a couple of weeks ago, and I really like this statement. Uh, Sometimes we Christians, we like to sit, soak, and sour. Now let me explain that to you. We have many Christians that come into church and they'll sit in the pew. They'll soak up all the teaching and all the preaching that they get. But then like wet clothes that continue to get wet and soak up the wetness but don't get dry. What happens to those clothes? They sour, don't they? And that's what happens so much in many of our churches. People come and they sit, they soak up everything they can, and they sour. They do nothing about their faith, their walk with Jesus. Are you sitting and soaking and souring? I hope not. I hope that your faith is active. A living faith. A faith that's manifested in obedience to the word of God. Jesus had that same problem when he was here. We read in John chapter 12. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. How about you? When you share your faith with somebody, when you talk to somebody about Jesus, are you afraid that you're going to get ridiculed? Or you don't even want to talk to them because you're afraid that they'll say no or, or they won't even acknowledge you, ignore you? What that means is that you are, are uh, 
you were looking for the praise of men instead of the praise of God. We are to share our faith with others. That's an active living faith. That's the kind of faith that the Thessalonians had. And that's the kind of faith that we need. An active living faith. A working faith. And, it, and we, need to, we, we need to be sure that our faith is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. A faith produced by the Word of God. This is so important, the Word of God. Without it, we'd be lost. We need the Word of God, and we need to be, let it work in our lives. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It needs to be a faith that leads to life in Jesus Christ. We read in John chapter 20, it says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So how about you? Is your faith like that of the Thessalonians, an active, working faith? If it is, then it will grow exceedingly, as Paul says about the Thessalonians, evidenced by our faithful service to the Lord. Now Paul was also thankful not only for their work of faith, but he was also thankful for their labor of love. They had a working Love, A love that was not just in word, but in deed and truth. If we look in 1 John chapter 3, it says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that's way, the way our love should be. In deed and truth, not just in word. And it's obvious, and we see this in this letter, to, to this epistle to the Thessalonians, that the love of the, their, their love was towards each other, towards the brethren, towards the brothers and sisters. And we not only see that in, in this church, but we also see that in the Colossian church, where he says, where Paul says in Colossians 1, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. That's the kind of love that is a working love, a love that is 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 evidenced by our brothers and sisters a love that is um, obvious to our brothers and sisters you realize that to love somebody you need to sacrifice your own self to show love is to be to show a selfless selfless love isn't that right we need to give up our own desires for the desires of that person that we are uh, extending our love to Christ did that, didn't he? Christ gave his life. He showed us he loved us by giving us his life, by being sacrificed on the cross for us. Paul would later comment and commend these brothers in Thessalonica on their love, their brotherly love. He says in chapter 4, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. What about your love? Is your love in word or tongue only? Or is it in deed and truth? How about it? Do we walk the walk or do we talk the talk? Is our love directed towards our brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, Jared mentioned that I'm a zone consultant. I, I have uh, in my zone, my zone seven of Illinois, I have a hundred churches that I um, visit and talk to and, and uh, um, 
help them whenever there's a need for, for help. Uh, that's what a consultant does. But a lot of times I see in these churches, there's problems in the churches. And the biggest problem, I think, one of the biggest problems is there is a lack of love between the brothers and sisters. One brother might desire something for himself, not thinking about the others. And that's what love towards the brothers and sisters. Forget about our own needs and think about the needs of those around us. That's what love is. Unfortunately, many people that are sitting in our pews in the churches in Illinois and around don't think that way. But the Thessalonians did. Their love was directed towards their brothers and sisters. And that's a mark of a true disciple. John 13 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for the other. It's also an indication of a spiritual life. 1 John 3 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So if our love is like the love of the Thessalonians, then it too will abound. And it will be evidenced in serving one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in love. Galatians 5 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then we note Paul's gratitude for their patience of hope. We've seen their working faith. We've seen their labor of love. And now their patience of hope. They had a hope that gave them patience. A strong hope is that which gives patience. We read in Romans 8, it says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So their hope was likely not focused on themselves. It was focused on what was laid up for them in heaven. We read in Colossians 1, it says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Peter referred to this hope as an inheritance. In 1 Peter we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. So later on in, the, in, the, in chapter 5 of this epistle, Paul would encourage them to wear this hope as a helmet. He says in chapter 5, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, that's a, that's a theme that runs through many of Paul's letters. The armor of God. We read in the in the Ephesians chapter six to put on the whole armor of God. He talks. He says, and here he's talking about that armor too, the hope as a helmet, the breastplate of faith and love. So, what about our hope? Do we have a strong hope? 
a hope that comes from reading Scripture. Romans 15 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. A hope that spurs us to be diligent, living holy and godly lives. And all these work together, faith and love and hope all kind of connect right there. To, to connect to how is our life? How do people see us? Peter writes in 2 Peter, he says, Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish. A hope that prompts people to wonder why we have it. People look at you and say, that person has a lot of hope. I see a lot of faith, a lot of love, and a lot of hope in that person. People see that. Is our hope focused on our inheritance that is laid up for us in heaven? You know, as I'm looking at these three Faith, hope, and love. Hope stands out to me more than anything else. Why is that? Why do I like the hope part of this? Because I have that hope that whenever I leave this world here, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. That's our hope as Christians. We have that hope that we will not perish. We will be in the presence of the Lord when we leave this earth here we will be in our heavenly home along with him the book of hebrews talks about that they they, it talks about the city whose builder and maker is god abraham was looking for the city who whose builder is uh, and maker is god he and his design his descendants desired a better place a better country a heavenly country is that our desire also? Are we, do we have the hope of a heavenly country in our future? Are we looking forward to our heavenly home? You know, I, um, my, my, my youngest daughter and son-in-law are, have just gone to Mexico, uh, to Spain as missionaries in Spain. The, his mom had been suffering from cancer and just a, days after they had arrived in Spain to begin their ministry in Spain, he got word that his mother uh, passed away from, from the cancer. But you know, to me, that wasn't passing away. She was a Christian, very, very, uh, she was a missionary and a very faithful Christian, uh, very evangelistic Christian. And to me, that wasn't passing away. That wasn't death. To me, that was graduation. For her, it was a graduation. Graduation from this earth to her heavenly home up in heaven. I saw this the other day, and I, and I want to share it with you. Um, it happens to be about D.L. Moody. Billy Graham also um, quotes this same uh, illustration here, the same thing here. This, this is what D.L. Moody says. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Norfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all out of this clay tenement into a house that is immortal. A body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Isn't that great to think that? We have that hope. We, this is not our dwelling place. Our dwelling place is in in the, the heavenly city. And one day we will all be there in the presence of the Lord. 
We will be there if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. If he's not your Lord and Savior, you need to take him, accept him as your Lord and Savior tonight. Because without that, you don't have that hope that we have in our heavenly home. The new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. In 2 Peter, we read this. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And you know that heavenly city is described in Revelation. And I want to read you those verses in Revelation 21. Is there the beautiful, it's a beautiful description of what we have to look forward to. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Do you realize that we, church, are his bride? We've been adorned as his bride for her husband, who's Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is the part I really like. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Do you have that hope? That hope that the Thessalonians had. If you do, then you have that helmet protecting your mind from the distraction of the world, which is passing away. And focusing on the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Who gives us eternal life in our heavenly dwelling. In his presence. So we have this threesome of faith, love, and hope. You know it's a common theme for Paul. We read about it in Colossians where he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. We also read about it in the epistle of uh, Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 13, that love chapter. We all are familiar with that, that chapter 13 of Corinthians, which ends saying, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, those. Like I said, it, it's, a, it's a theme that goes through Paul's letters, but he wrote it first in this letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians. Faith, hope, and love. A working faith. A faith that is alive. A labor of love. Love for all the brethren. And patience of hope. Hope for our eternal life in the heavenlies. You know, the past couple of months, there have been some events that have caused a lot of sadness, a lot of pain for our brothers and sisters. Um, I don't know how many of you knew Terry Pope, the pastor of the um, uh, Reno Church. No, Sorrento Church. Thank you. Terry, Terry Pope passed away just recently. I got a chance to visit him in the hospital just a few days before he passed away. And you know, anybody who's on their deathbed, if they're not a Christian, they're going to be struggling. 
But I could see the peace in Terry's face and his eyes because he knew that his destination was a heavenly destination. He had that hope. Just recently, well, Friday, went to the funeral of a 22-year-old friend. His, his uh, father's a friend of mine. But not only did he lose his son um, Friday or this past week, but he lost his daughter two months ago. So he buried his daughter and his son within a space of two months. His daughter died of a, a heart condition. His son died of an accident, in an accident. It has to be tough because they've lost their son and daughter. But what held them together? What was holding them together and, and keeping them together and keeping them from losing it was the fact that they had that hope. They knew where their daughter and son are at the present time. That was their hope. And their hope is that one day they will all be together in the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Can you just see that in your mind? Being in the presence of the Lord. Praising Him. Just being in your heavenly home where there is no more sorrow. No more death. No more tears. What wonderful, satisfying, happy words that Paul writes in this letter to the Thessalonians. That encouragement where he says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Redeemer Church, can we say that about you? Your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. May the remarkable faith, love, and hope of the church of the Thessalonians. There were recent converts. But may they inspire us to grow in our own faith in Christ. And our love for the brethren. And our hope for the inheritance reserved for us in heaven. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.